Welcome to episode 21 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in the property sector. We at MCG are passionate about taking the mystery out of property investment. This podcast is designed for anybody interested in investing, whether you're looking to buy your first property or you're a veteran investor with multiple properties to your name. We believe there's always something more to learn and who better to learn from than the people who are in the game. You'll hear from buyers, agents, mortgage brokers, strata managers, accountants and many other professionals all sharing their insider knowledge. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. If you love the podcast, click on the subscribe button so you never miss another episode. I've often commented in this series on how few investors build their portfolios beyond one or two properties. My guest today is a perfect example of how, with the right attitude and some forward planning, investors can leverage their investments to create financial freedom. Following a successful 16-year career in IT development and management, Ashish Malhotra has transformed his passion for property into a burgeoning portfolio and a thriving business purely built on referral. From buying his first property with his family in India for $8,000 through to helping his clients buy properties all around Australia, Ashish is testament to the power of persistence and consistency. I've invited him today to share his story. Welcome, Ashish. Ashish Malotra, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike, for inviting me. I, I, it's, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. You're a bit of an under-the-radar buyer's agent because you're 100% re- referral, so there might be some people who haven't come across you before. So I, I wanted to ask you the standard questions, and starting with, who are you and what do you specialise in? All right, so I said my name is Ashish Malhotra, and yes, I'm a buyer's agent. Um, my journey, I've transitioned into a buyer's agent from a 16-year um, IT development and management career. Um, so property, I'm a property enthusiast by passion and now by profession. So I'm, I'm very, I take pride in saying then, yet, yes, I'm a 100% referral-based business, um, and I'm helping first-home buyers and I'm helping investors to buy property into growth regions across Australia. Beautiful. And we're going to dive into that. And of course, this being an investor podcast, we want to get the, the meat on the bones of, of your strategy and what you've been able to do for yourself and clients. What about uh, the young Ashish growing up? What were the posters on the bedroom wall? Good question. Um, I've wasn't much of a poster guy, but then once I definitely thought of getting a Rambo poster. Rambo, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I loved watching movies when I was growing up, right? And from a very early age, I had access to torrents and whatnot, and I used to, at night, just put movies for downloads. And every single night, my entire college journey, I watched a movie. Every oh, single wow. night. <laughs> right. That's how many movies I was watching and I'm pretty much all English while not many of my friends were watching those many English movies, but I just got the hang of listening to music and watching movies pretty early on. Just because because my I had a I had an elder brother who moved to England um, when I was I think six or seven, and I I was very fond of him and the way he he used to speak English, very fluent, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> 
There you go, and you learnt, you 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 perfected your English with John Rambo, a man, a man like I guess Sylvester Stallone is hardly intelligible when he, when he speaks English. So probably not oh, the best, right. yeah, probably not oh, the best right. role model. Adrian. <laughs> Um, what about property? You you mentioned that you're you're passionate about property, but when when did you first get started in property, and what was your first investment? Okay, so a bit of a story behind it as well. Um, I was, I believe, twenty three or twenty four. Just started my job, um, had a shift. I moved from being a telecom engineer, spent a year in a telecom company, and moved to IT. Uh, but that wasn't an improvement in my pay, but it was an improvement um, in, in the learning and I was being associated to a big company. So um, all in all, I had a stable income. Uh, family was happy. My mom brought an opportunity and we didn't have anything. We were just renting a, in like a government accommodation. Uh, it's like, I can't call it a social housing, but um, like the back in India when parents are working in government roles the government gives them uh, the housing um, yep. privilege at a certain rental that you pay and we were very keen to get into our own home and the city we were staying in was very costly so what we did was uh, we went in the outskirts just at joining areas and my mom brought an opportunity um, that this is a land which we could have bought for like $8,000 at that You're time right. um there was my yearly pay as well, by the way. So, <laughs> um, but that's that's what well, that's that was our first investment um, yeah, or my first investment, whereby I was also pitching and supporting my family. Yep. Um, and it actually turned out pretty well. This date, if I have to just sell it off, um, I think we'd be getting about fifty thousand dollars for it. And the purchase was done in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, okay. So started a bit, I don't know if you'd call it early, but started right at the right time. And that was when I was, I became really passionate about real estate. Yeah. Even though I couldn't buy anything, I used to track prices of the adjoining areas. Uh, and that's how I've been. I, I research, I learn, and then I try to educate. Yep. Um, and that's when a lot of friends started coming back um for the advice as well and i was telling them i bought here this is growing at a decent pace and i've made a couple of friends invest there too yeah <laughs> brilliant and what what about um moving to to australia when, when did that happen and what was sort of the motivation there so uh, with my it consultancy we went to uk in 2012 yep. um both um i got married around 2009 um, and both me and my wife we went to UK both were on job um, we really liked being there we liked the work-life balance though we were in a pressure there like it was a lot of work yeah. um, still we liked it because we were earning um, um, in pounds <laughs> yeah. um, and um, after seven months we had to come back but then we just realized it might make sense to migrate to such a country um, where we can maintain a work-life balance and at the same time earn pretty well. And that's when I then started researching what countries I could have migrated to. I started researching UK, Canada, Australia, and we finally narrowed down to Australia because of the weather. 
Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> there you go. That was the clincher. And, and then I think the market was more transparent when I started researching. UK was very difficult to be in high costs, I'd say, um, yeah. just before even thinking that we could land there. Um, so fortunately, I started negotiating with my IT consultancy that if I can go there on a job. And I, again, I'd consider myself very fortunate. I came with $4,000 and a job here back in 2014, November. Wow, there you go. <laughs> That's a great story. And I'm, I'm wondering, with that background, obviously property was a passion, but are there transferable skills with having an IT background? I mean, the cliche is, is that you would probably be very good with spreadsheets, you know, analytics, that sort of stuff. Was there any crossover between your, your technical training and your ability to analyse property markets and property deals? I think it's it's again a very good question. I think you've uh, you've just picked the spot there. Um, I'd say attitude is foremost the most important thing when it comes to investing, um, followed by mindset. Again, I, I won't even um, rank them. I think both are equally important. Once the mindset is clear. Uh, you start to research more. Once you start to research, you start to learn more. Uh, but I have been a data migration consultant as well in the past. So actually my UK role was a data migration consultant. So um, I've been working with customer management systems, um, um, high volume of data. I worked with banks. Um, I also did my search for in finance and mortgage broking to learn more on the finance industry in Australia. So all in all, Yes, um, in just my IT role definitely helped me. Um, I'm, I've am i been a developer, so I can put those formulas in place if I need to mix and match things or calculate something. Um, it's not difficult for me to understand if someone tells me um, I'm looking at this data and this is how I'm just identifying the areas. Um, and those spreadsheets were pretty easy. It has taken me four years to... Uh, be at a point where I was when I just started to understand and figure out the growth areas. Um, But that was also spending a lot on education Um, and being, having that data background that definitely supported me. Yep. It's interesting. You, you, you talk about the advantages of the data background and I know that you're a bloke that loves to solve Rubik's cubes, but you, you, you know, you, you sort of discounted that by saying, you know, things like mindset are, are as equally important. Well, what are you getting at there? Um, so when it comes to mindset, I think knowing where you want to go is very important. Um, and then, uh, and this is the thing where I can speak hours literally, and I'll keep on digressing because there's so much involved, but, um, mindset is important because when I knew what I had to achieve, I started searching for property from day one. I, as I said, I came with $4,000. I had nothing with me, but I knew my next step is buying a property. I delayed my buying a car for one and a half years. So we stayed without a car every week. Um, I used to take a discount from my corporate company and we used to rent a car for like 50 bucks a day, like XR6s or uh, (laughs) those uh, uh, Chevys. um, But yeah, so... I was very clear in where I wanted to go. 
Um, in order to educate myself, I used to wake up early in the mornings, 5, 6 a.m., sometimes sleep at, late at night, 1, 2 a.m. Um, my wife always told me, Ashish, if you want to learn, that's fine, but at least don't um, don't just take the family time from us because that's I, I have a young family. I've got two boys, 10 and 4. By, when I came here, my, my elder one was, I think, four years. Yeah. Um, my, my younger one is born here. Uh, but they're still young. Um, I love spending time with them as well. So the key is to have a dedicated time and never let that time go. So if I'm spending 6 to 7 a.m. educating myself, that time is dedicatedly mine. I don't let anyone breach that time. Yep. Um, no picking up calls, no talking to kids. That time, if I've dedicated for myself, it is for myself. That's how mindset is important. Uh, the other thing, persistence. Um, I, so one more thing that I love to say is uh, being consistent and being persistent. So consistent is the way you do things. Persistent is how long can you do those things in the same way. So if I am inconsistent in some way, I've always been persistent. Yeah. Um, and that's why I believe that there's a big role of mindset and attitude as well. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. And I, and I want to sort of talk about your story because I'm imagining you're turning this $4,000 into something pretty impressive pretty quickly just with that discipline. Where there's, there's sort of a bit of a cliche, but I, I think it holds true. There's a, there's, a, there's a migrant or an immigrant work ethic that is, is difficult to beat. Where, where did that sort of military-style discipline from you come in where you were quite happy to, you know, to sacrifice the car and to segment your life into areas where you could make sure that you were achieving your goals? So I think, okay, it's, um, I'll tell you another story. <laughs> That's good. So where I hail from back in Northern India and uh, Northern and it's, um, I, I was born in a small town in Punjab. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my maternal side is all in Punjab. I've stayed in a small city in India. It's called Chandigarh, about three and a half, four hours drive from the capital, New Delhi. And it's the most cleanest and greenest city of India. So I, I loved being there. But Northerners have a strong belief. You spend on house, you spend on cars. Yep. So you might not have money to um, to put the gas in the car, but you'll have a lavish car, right. <laughs> a luxury okay. car. Yeah. So um, when I came here, again, similar mindset, big house, big land, um, I bumped into an investor and I was on to an IT training where I bumped into an investor and he was in that entire training consistently on real estate. And I was very curious to see after the training, I told him, can you, uh, what were you doing? Uh, would you like, um, can I offer a drink? Would you like to go on a, uh, for a drink? And he said, yes, that's fine. So I, I got the resources early on. So he gave me a blog, a couple of magazines, which then I consistently subscribed to. And every single month for next six months to 12 months, I was completing those magazines, Australian Property Investor and yeah, Your yeah. Investment Property. Yep. So physical copies were available back then. Yeah. Um, and all my friends were buying houses in the ponds. Um, or Quakers Hill, or uh, at that time, I think Kellyville was very famous, 2014, 15. Uh, But then I I still never thought of spending 600 to 650 on a house because I was a single income earner and wasn't a high income earner either. 
So uh, when I learned all of this, I also learned that um, you can go interested and you can buy cheaper investments. Yep. So I started researching on the areas. I learned about cycles in those six months. I made my first move mid-2015. Mid-2015. Okay. So I'm assuming that um, you you increased some of the savings to get your, your first deposit with what you sort of say is a modest income. But talk, talk us through the how and the what. Okay. So I got into a strategy whereby one can go in the very early phases of a development mm-hmm. um, and at the same time do can not compromise on the area stock and the demographics. Mm-hmm. So demographics play, play a big role when it comes to um, high rents versus the renter percentage and whatnot. Yep. But those stats, there were some stats published at the back of uh, Australian Property Investor and New Investment Property. I used to diligently see those, of course, not for all areas, but certain areas that I was tracking by that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just bought land by paying $8,000, Yep, right. which was 5%. Um, I was told it would settle in about six months, and I thought I will have some money gathered by that time. Um, so I started with a fairly low deposit, yep. but in five, six months time, I was told it's at least another eight months away. My wife got into a role as well by that time. She was also in IT. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got a good role. Um, she was contracting for the government for her first job. Oh, wow. um, she's very passionate about IT and she develops codes um, and she loves that. So um that's when I realized I can get into a similar second development. And I was consistently in touch with this investor friend of mine and mentor. Um, and I was reading the blogs day in and out. So my commute, I was very fond of watching movies. Even when I came to Australia, yeah. every morning and evening, I started watching movies, uh, all the downloads that I had. I had like nearly 35 DVDs that I brought from India to here, which were full of movies. Um, But I let that go just because I wanted to educate myself more. And my wife was pushing me to get a car. And I thought I need to invest first and then um, not take a mortgage on the car because I had to use the borrowing to my leverage. Um, So 2016, early 2016, I bought my second lot. And believe or not, with just $5,000. Yeah. Uh, so w- both these properties, I then started researching on builders. So I picked initially three builders, pick one. But for the second one, I researched nearly 10 to 12 builders. And then I picked one. Yep. Um, by this time, I had realized those properties. Now, when I was buying, Mike, I I was still keeping numbers um, uh in, in the mind and the rental leads. So when I bought that land for $160,000, I could have built a house for 190. Yep. So I spent around 190, actually by end it was about 200. Um, I was paying less stamp duty. I was going into the area where the stock was less and the demand was still decent. Yep. And, but I could negotiate with the developers at least at that time. Um, the house that would have costed me three hundred and sixty thousand dollars, the market value was four hundred to four ten. Yep. 
right? And then a lot of people argue saying, how can you say the market value? And I tell them, I just go to agents. I Like now I've learned the valuation techniques, but at that time I went to three agents. I asked them if I'm building in this area, this sort of product on this land, what can you get me? Yep. If you are getting consistent answer 390 to 410, I think you can easily make out that you're buying eight to 10% less than market value. Yes. Um, the same thing I did on rentals. So I did my due diligence by talking to the right people on the ground. Yep. Right. So again, came as a learning, but now I'll just cut it short. The second property was I went outskirts. I bought land for $105,000. I bought a, I built a custom home and I, I got a design on the, uh, board and I was mixing and matching rooms and uh, whatnot. Again, a learning that came from my mentor. He said, you can squeeze in a bathroom by not going with a two bed, two bath, one garage, but go with a three bed, two bath, one garage. Yep. So I built that property for 280,000. So basically I consolidated this 600,000 that I would have otherwise spent in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And I diversified into two locations in Victoria um, and spent the same amount, but I was getting 5% yield on my buy price at that day in the market. Yep. Plus I was at least 10 to 12% less than market price. Mm. So, so that 650 is now 1.1 million and it's returning me 910 a week. Yeah. Right. Wow. So I think I, I learned it early. By that time, I realized the we are also in the middle or just on the verge of Victoria boom. Yes. Um, and I then, 2017, I bought two more, pro, uh, two more lots like that. And this is when I told my friends that this is what I've gained. Um, this is what I'm doing now. These are the numbers, if you are keen. Um, just purely out of... Um, um, out of a, a goodwill gesture, we did eight deals, including two of mine in two different areas. So with all my friends and they started utilizing my brokers, my builders. Um, and that's how I started because I could see the potential. Um, so 2018, I, I took a break then for two years. Right. I started educating myself more. I did my search for in finance and mortgage broking. Then I did uh, next year, my certificate of registration. I did a course, my first one around that time. Um, and uh, uh, since then I've been doing one course a year and then uh, sometimes, and then now it's more, it's improvised to doing some sales and marketing sort of courses as well, because yes. business is again, a new thing for me, but all in all, what I've done is last six years bought about um, six properties and um, not taking into account my seventh one because that is still a lot which will settle next year. Now, again, I've strategized because I've left my job. Uh, I'm working on ABN. I've now bought land early this year, which titles late next year. But in same thing, I've kept in an area which is very tight. Even if I buy established house, I can still manage the growth, right? So yes. don't get me wrong. But in one way I'm adding value. I'm also looking at stock. I'm looking at demographics. I'm looking at people. And now it's way more improvised. I'm looking at days on market and rent a percentage and inventory levels and stock levels and whatnot. So yeah, that's pretty much what my journey is (laughs) for my entire investing. There you go. That's quite a ride. Now I I know that you're obviously very interested in, in 
property market di- dynamics and you talked about understanding the cycles and you've you've just quoted a few different metrics what what are your favorite leading indicators when you're finding a property market that you want to invest in the Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. So I mix and match a few. Um, for me to start with, I think I'll just pick days on markets, uh, the rental yields, the um, stock on the market. I also look at um, like the inventory, basically how much time that stock will take to sell. Um, and then I figure out the if I've spotted a region or a pocket, I then start to look at the infrastructure level details. Yep. Um, and I, I then try to see in those pockets, pick all the suburbs um, and see where the least growth has happened and what are the reasons. It, whether it's a rough suburb for any reason or there's a reason of the suburb being cheap. If there are no reasons, um, I think I've just spotted a suburb which is undervalued in that pocket. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think COVID, COVID has changed a lot of trends. Every area that you will see, it'll seem a hot area to you or to me rather. Um, so I, I look at last three years worth of trends to see how it was pre-COVID as well. Because um, I believe I what I, my learning is so far, we are in the middle of a national boom at this point, which yeah. last would have happened around 18, 20 years back. Um, I see a lot of investors will jump on to more regional markets, um, which will grow for maybe one, two or three years, and then they'll stagnate for a while. And I, I as an investor would never go into such regions. Mm-hmm. I'll go into regions which are giving me consistent growth and which have the potential of either being affected by a ripple or they are undervalued because that growth is yet to happen or or maybe investors are yet to see those areas because if I don't have this education, I'll only invest where my friends are investing yep. and my friends will invest where they can think themselves being placed in those suburbs, not actual people who are living in that suburb. Mm. That's interesting. It's sort of like they might be investing under a flawed mindset, but there is power in understanding that herd mentality, right? Not everyone works um, in, in a, I guess, not everyone acts in a completely predictable, reasonable manner. And that's where even, um, and I think the, the same knowledge can be applied anywhere. Um, it's not that I haven't burnt my hands. I've had some bad experiences with some investments uh, back in India. Uh, But I think just I've been fortunate enough to have decent investments here. And I just like to tread carefully and maybe, yes, take risks, but um, take some calculative risks and mitigate wherever possible. 
Mm. And when you, you talked about, you mentioned sort of the ripple effect, which I think people understand fairly well, and, and infrastructure as being a big driver for property growth, depending on, on what we're talking about. But the, the data is sort of a bit harder to find with infrastructure. Obviously, there's those massive projects that get announced and politicians love getting their big scissors out and cutting the ribbon, right? But how do you do that research to see, say, a regional area that's going to get a new hospital or a grandstand or something like that? So I think the most common source is Infrastructure Australia, mm-hmm. um, where you can look into different projects. I track a lot of councils and their news. Um, I also look at Terry Ryder's reports. Yep. So there's a bit of, um, there's a lot of reports and data that I am subscribed to. I might not need that, but as I said initially, even if you get a drop in the ocean, uh, just, just as a drop worth of knowledge, um, I think it's it's worthy cause. And then that's when you deep dive into that infrastructure and see at what level the infrastructure is. If I do not find those that info anywhere, I try calling the councils to understand a bit more on that. Just because people tell you a lot of things and not everything is happening on the ground. Some things are just in the air. Yes. Um, and I, I just sometimes uh, uh, talk to people and they say, ah, there is a school being built there and I think the area will grow. And I yeah. was like, okay, why do you think that way? So, because um, the school gets built when you see population moving there. Uh, but some of the infrastructure, which actually support people in saving time and time's money eventually, uh, I think that's where that's where you start seeing the benefit Um and when the areas are long due for growth, like say Queensland or even South Australia, and you see a small small piece of infrastructure getting built and it actually helps people in a way, the area just starts to shoot up. Yep. Um, yep. And when you're looking at your sort of typical investor-grade product, how, how much does the the, the yield factor in? Would you characterize yourself as a, as a cash flow investor? I would definitely categorize myself as a cash flow investor. So, and I do not believe holding the land for the sake of holding the land. Um, I, so I have a different mindset when it comes to this investing. Of course, I get people what they want, right? I'm buying, uh, I'm buying 600 plus square meter lots with a decent house on it, um, which can be subdivided today. Um, but the point is, those those properties are being bought around 350 to 400k and they are yielding four and a half to five percent so you don't have to do anything right away you just have to make sure that you're holding those properties and the potential that's today will either stay the same or amplify 10 to 15 years down the line but if you're buying a property where you are spending 15 twenty thousand dollars for holding it and then you think it'll grow at the same pace um, again, I think that's a bit of speculation, um, which no one knows what would happen. Um, I will not buy properties for the sake of holding it because by the time uh, you are ready to do that development, uh, you, you, you've taken 10, 12 years, you've spent, you would have spent 50 to 100000 $100, $100, $100 additionally in order to acquire that additional land. Then you pay interest costs on it, you pay stamp duty, you pay land taxes, and um, when you are ready to subdivide, you pay demolition, you pay subdivision costs. Um, if you bought the wrong block or higher side costs or easements, that's when you're in for a shock. 
I mean, mm. I'm saying you, sorry, but just yep. as in investors. Um, and then when the investors build two houses, they're still subdividing. The, the land goes smaller, the bill goes higher. Uh, if the area demands that sort of product, then yes. But if you see the numbers today, they might not work. Yes. If you see numbers 10 years down the line, and then I compare it with today's numbers, I could have saved that money and that borrowing and put that into another property. So I'm still diversifying. I'm still making sure my, my cash flow is not impacted. And with the growing families, with decent incomes, you have to have that lifestyle not taking a hit. Yep. Uh, I'm a, again, I'm a big believer of sports where my kids join. I'm spending on sports and I just... That's the last thing that I want, that my lifestyle gets gets a hit because I'm holding two or three cash flow negative properties. And if I would have done that, I would have never been able to take a plunge from my IT career to my real estate career. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess money is kind of freedom tickets to a lot of investors. So when it comes to describing your perfect property uh, investment, is, is, is that sort of what we, you were talking about before, a house on a 600-plus block that's got that upside just sort of sleeping potential i'd say whatever makes you money um, <laughs> a, a shorter term a shorter term um add, add value or uh, growth is equally important than longer term and that's why many times people end up buying at the peak uh, thinking it'll grow it's like shares um, most novice investors get in when the market is at the peak because everyone's talking about it yes so the point here is holding something that you're comfortable holding with. If you're buying under self-managed super fund and just out of experience, you don't want a property where, which you have to redevelop or build. Um, so you can buy a smaller lot and a decent house on it, which you can in a growth market, right? That's the underlying thing in a growth market, in a tightly held pocket, the land will appreciate at the, at its normal pace. Holding a bigger land and overpaying doesn't mean you are in a benefit. Uh, you'd be paying to maintain that house. 10, 15 years down the line, you're either paying fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on minor renovations mm-hmm. or you have to demolish it and get a new house on it. Yeah. So why not buy a fairly aged house on comparatively a smaller lot and hold it for next 15, 20 years, right? Yeah. So it just depends how much involved an investor want to be. And yeah, sorry. No, that's all right. When, when it comes to finding those growth locations, have you got any sort of secret sauce you can share with us? Um, obviously, the price point dictates the areas that you can go to, but what, what does a market typically look like that piques your interest? So good. And I, I just purely come out of my exposure to the market um, on this point that I'm about to say. I think in any growing market, every year you have to change your strategy. Now, my best investment has always been my next one in my portfolio, despite the growth that I've got. Um, 2015, 16, I went into early stages. 2017, 18, I was looking at middle ring suburbs, which were undervalued. Uh, 2020, I bought two properties, both were distressed. So I've, I've made 25 to 30% in last one and a half year on a purchase of 420 and 450k respectively. Yeah. Now, if I, I see the same in other markets also, say South Australia or Queensland, you start with a comparatively cheaper pocket 
or the pocket is cheaper for a reason the moment that pocket grows you see which is the next door neighbor which has the best potential to grow uh, based on demographic and and what the local knowledge is and you keep moving outwards when you are priced out of that pocket i then start to realize actually the premium properties make more sense in buying because the growth uh, comparatively I, i think either they are the last ones to grow or they take some time to grow so yeah. if 380k properties have gone up to 450k but 500k properties have only gone up to 520 or 530k just because they are on a bigger land or they are better houses um if the margin is narrowing down you're better off going with a with a bit of a premium property because it might be in a premium pocket or it come would come with a decent land parcel um, but the the margin has narrowed down and say a four bedroom median has not gone up that much but, but a three bedroom median has considerably gone up so the strategy has to be changed based on how the market is behaving mm. um even in these hot markets sometimes i get off markets like i i can give an example there was an a property on the market and a property off the market so both together yep. different agents um combining both the land would be about 1300 square meters um but you can buy one and still get that subdivision potential and you're looking at spending 330 uh 335 and it'll rent out for 350 a week again this is where some of the not high paying investors would come in yep um if then i have an investor who wants to spend 500 to 550 i then check what they want to do with it like um they want a bigger footprint of the house they want bigger land so strategy is based on an investor's risk appetite yep. and how they see the market but sometimes when people tell me uh, they want a bigger lot the oldest house possible i tell them they might be in for a bit of a maintenance so if you're going with an older house and someone else has renovated it um yes by all means we can do it if you're going with a 30 35 year old house and just the kitchen needs some renovation there's no leaks or moist high moisture in the bath i think that's still a good good candidate for us to be in and we can spend 8 10000 on the kitchen and bump up the rentals and the uh, add value potential yep. um we can also be near to the beaches uh, by comparatively older properties and that there's a unique proposition to those properties because they're near next to the beaches 5 10 minute walk to beach um and you can still buy something Uh, for for 450 to 550 which are yielding 4% onwards yields yep i think you are holding a property which which has less chance to go down at the same time it has got that unique proposition of course if i have the potential i would buy in uh, i i would buy um on darling harbor with views um and spending multi million dollars on a single property rather than holding a big portfolio yeah. uh, but it just depends on what a, what an investor's risk appetite is i've just ended up doing my first 2 million deal um a, a commercial investment which uh, which is again a development uh, but there's a fairly nearly 25 30% return on return on development margins there so yeah it it just depends what an investor's risk appetite is for me i'm fairly well versed with starting few hundred thousand dollars to going to a few multi million dollar properties yeah um just depends what an investor wants and how they are trading what their cash flow looks like and how much involved they want to be in in their journey yeah and w- where do you think your average investor is is actually getting things wrong because the stats are still saying that your average investor only owns one property yes so 
one is when i when i talk about goals with um with the, with my clients and i ask them are you aware how many properties do you need and they don't have any answer and that's where at least a blueprint has to be clear so mm. if i take a very lame sort of example and i say my properties are returning about 4% in rentals um which is i believe an average in any growing market um um I'm excluding sydney yeah yeah <laughs> um so i'd say in order to have that 100000 income uh, you have to have a 2.5 million dollar portfolio you can't achieve that with one or two properties um now of course if you have a similar investment in shares or cryptos or whatever investment medium people are following they still need to figure out what they need at the end of the day in order to get a decent income some people are in for a shock because some just feel ah five properties people just buy for the sake of buying it yeah uh, and that's not true so that's one the second i'd say is um most people are just buy there because their friends are buying and they buy there and those are the regions that will not push them by 3 to 5 years but they'll hold them back by 3 to 5 years so in an environment where someone is spending 6 to 8 years in accumulating a decent portfolio these investors actually are taken back because their properties either don't grow in value or they get so less rental that they are out of they have out of pocket costs and that's why they are hardly buying maybe one or two in those 5 to 7 years. Mm, yeah. And I believe these are two points that definitely that uh, any investor should be looking at. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's a that's a that's a great point for investors that are wanting to to grow and and also a good point around just people thinking you know 5 is a magic number or 6 or 4 or whatever you got to sort of back calculate from the lifestyle that you want to achieve. I want to ask you a question that most of my guests hate um and that is get your crystal ball out what's happening for the property market across Australia in the next 12 to 24 months I think the markets will keep going um especially when someone asks me oh I'm very hesitant to go into Sydney or Victoria markets um is that where I should invest and I then ask look it depends on your budget personally for me as an investor if i'm going into a development i have the margins i'll keep the contingencies and i'll jump in if i'm going with buy and hold type investments i'd prefer um states like south australia and queensland or even western australia uh, more than uh, nsw or victoria if i'm buying in nsw and victoria i'd find pockets which are tightly held and are yielding me at least 4% and be prepared that when the market um when the market turns south and it may right there's no uh, there's no reason why every market will keep going up mm. it it may happen now or one and a half years down the line or i think two years is what the prediction is um but that's how i see each market but i also see when the consumer confidence drops that's when you need to have a bit of cash in hand as well yes yeah uh, So yeah that's that's pretty much how I see the market's going um personally I'll try to have a bit of cash I'll also jump into the market if I can now and I'm going into a commercial development as we speak um this just being negotiated um and and the contracts being reviewed uh and I'm also uh, just consolidating my debts selling a couple of properties 
uh, take money out, get into better markets where I see more potential. So I put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And uh, so you heard it here first, guys. The property's got a bit more to run, but um, you know, be prepared because things can change pretty quickly if it's yeah. interest rates or APRA inter- intervention or who knows with this uh, this COVID world we're living in. Ashish, uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want to have a chat? Um, they can always hop onto my uh, uh, website so they, they, they just need to search Oswide Bias Agency on Google um, or they can go to LinkedIn connect with me um, they can come to my Facebook page they can message me directly um, or book a call from my website so I'm always up for a chat and networking so yes provided I have time I'd, I'd love to I'd love to chat further <laughs> just not between your six and seven self-education time Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, if there's one piece of advice that you can round us up with for investors, what would that be? Okay, so I, it's more or less related, but I'll say two lines. One is get educated or get a professional. Um, if you feel your time is worth more, don't spend on things but if you feel you can spend time educating yourself that's what one needs to do the other thing you listen to people who have achieved what you want to achieve so that's what my mentor once told me and i diligently follow it i believe it's these are words of gold or advice um, that has really worked wonders for me yeah absolutely if you see someone that's where you want to be then you want the secret sauce. Great advice, um, Ashish, and I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thanks for sharing your your uh, your wisdom and, and humour. Thank you, Mike. The, the pleasure is likewise. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.